severely messed Artists like their boots are torn to shreds The government will spoil your hopes and dreams By offering a useless retreat and scheme There's such amazing talent, why can't you see That the government has decimated the industry And now the years of hard work have been thrown away Just get a real job Hello, I'm Jamie McKinley and welcome to episode 122 of Just Get A Real Job. Thank you as always for tuning in if you're a new listener. Welcome to the podcast. Now this week's episode is a really exciting one as we are joined by West End stars Tanisha Spring and Dom Simpson who are currently both starring in Moulin Rouge the musical. Dom is playing Christian and Tanisha is playing Satine. We talk about that more in today's episode. Of course there's links to the show in the show notes. It was a really fun chat to have with them both. It was really interesting as well to sort of chat to them about their first steps into becoming performers, their day-to-day roles in being part of a musical like Moulin Rouge. Dom originally wanted to be a footballer so it was really interesting to talk to him about that and what the creative sector can learn from elite sport and things like football. It was really interesting to talk to Tanisha about how she went from working in an accountancy firm to becoming a performer and her own personal projects. We spoke about setbacks, they offered their advice for other people. It's a really good conversation. There's so much more I could have asked them. I didn't get a chance to sort of ask them more about representation and the barriers facing people in the musical theatre industry in particular, but you only have so much time with guests, but it was lovely to chat to them. Really enjoyed this conversation. If you're in London or are visiting London, be sure to go and see Moulin Rouge as well. As I said earlier, there's a link to that in the show notes, but it's a cracking episode. Before we get into today's episode as well, I just wanted to quickly say a massive thank you to everyone that's listened to last week's conversation with Nikki McCretton, who is the creative director of Stuff and Nonsense Theatre Company. We'd had some really good feedback on that episode, particularly some of the stuff Nikki was talking about with the importance of education in the creative industry. So thank you to that's listening to that it's always really nice on Instagram and Twitter or whatever socials to sort of get feedback and to see people talking about the episodes we make and stuff and to see people engaging so that was really nice to see and yeah please be sure to do that with any episode you listen to if you're enjoying an episode be sure to share it if you take something away from one of our episodes be sure to let us know and, and get these conversations going because you know, some of the conversations we get to have on this are really important and it's always nice to see. And as always, if you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to subscribe and follow us to make sure you don't miss an episode. But as always, thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy episode 122 with the brilliant Tanisha Spring and Dom Simpson. Enjoy. Dom, Tanisha, lovely to meet you, lovely to chat to you today. I know you've both had a very busy day yesterday performing, but thank you very much for coming on Just Get A Real Job. It was great to have you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you. It might be nice just for the listeners if you both sort of just want to introduce yourselves, tell us a bit about what you do, etc., and then we'll sort of get into things. So do you want to go first, Tanisha? Yeah, I'm Tanisha Spring. I'm currently playing Satine in Moulin Rouge, the musical with the fabulous Dom Simpson. Yeah, we started this run five or six weeks ago, five weeks ago. Six weeks, yes. Is this week six now, maybe? I think. Week six. It's so, yeah, before... I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> no concept of time. Yeah, so I've been working in theatre for about eight years now. Yeah. Wow. No, and I know from researching you both, you've, you've had very interesting sort of career paths. So this podcast is all about celebrating non-linear careers. So oh, we're excited to get into it all. 
but I'll let you introduce yourself first, Tom. Yeah, so I'm Dom Simpson and I play Christian in Moulin Rouge the Musical. I was just thinking actually when it was, it was, yeah, October 16th we opened, so was that about six weeks ago? And we're having a great time down at the Piccadilly Theatre. I graduated from drama school back in 2016, so again, I've been working sort of seven years in the industry. Prior to Moulin Rouge, I was playing Elder Price in the Book of Mormon, so that's what I did before Christian. So I've gone from playing a Mormon to playing a Christian. <laughs> I've been converted. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's brilliant. Well, before we sort of go on to talk about Moulin Rouge and, and your sort of paths to get there, etc., it'd be nice for us to sort of cast your minds back to your sort of earliest creative memories. My earliest creative memory, yeah, brilliant. I have to be honest, the first one that I have in my memory is actually a memory that's been given to me, so to speak. I don't remember it happening, but when I was about three years old, I was on a family holiday. I think we were somewhere in sardinia or something like that on some sort of family holiday resorts and my mom tells me that the the kids club were doing their evening presentation and as i say i was far too young to be in this show but i was desperate to get on stage and during one of the intervals i just sort of crawled my way onto the stage and started shouting out the song you're gorgeous but i couldn't actually pronounce gorgeous so apparently i was singing you're gorgeous was apparently what i was screaming in front of all these wonderful holiday goers and yeah, that was my that was my, my performing debut, I believe. Brilliant. No, that's uh, thank you for the answer. Tanisha, what about yourself? I come from a big family and definitely two of my other sisters sing. And we used to sing around the house basically and pretending to be whatever three-piece band were out at the time. And with my cousins, the wider group of us, we would just make movies and plays and I just get as kids do, but I remember them vi- vividly because we did a lot of them. <laughs> And I'm not sure if we ever really performed them. We just enjoyed the activity of creating things or recreating movies that we saw or, yeah. So it's quite nice going back to it as an adult. <laughs> what you the kid. I think as well, like, what I've had, like, I mean, we've done, like, over 120 episodes of this podcast so far, and everyone's, usually everyone's creative memories are always stuff. They don't think, you don't think about it consciously at the time, obviously. You're just, like, being a kid. But I think everyone has very similar stuff where they're just doing something very innocently. But then in hindsight, you're like, oh, that makes so much sense. Um, which is really nice Dom I know we sort of spoke about where you're from off air but my next sort of question is about how where you're from has influenced you as creatives and stuff but let's start with you Tanisha I actually don't know where you're from so how but how is where you're from sort of influenced you as a creative and how does it sort of like affect your performances etc now I think I was born and raised in Croydon and I didn't start off training to be an actual performer but generally like the activity of doing so and I think a part of Croydon, it, there has been pockets of like people that have been creative. So obviously it's, it's the area where the Brit School is and there's always been like a hub of something underground going on. And even in terms of like garage days mm. and things like that, it felt very create it yourself because there wasn't much going on. It's, and Croydon is definitely a melting pot of, of cultures and experiences. So it's, it was quite nice being surrounded by that. Yeah. I think that's quite a common thing as well. Like, I'm, I grew up in a very small town called Glen Office, which had nothing going on. It didn't even have like an underground scene, really. It had nothing. But that sort of gave you the kick to want to try and make something yourself in a sort of so some similarities there where you kind of just like, well, this is a bit boring, so we're going to try and find it. But it must be quite interesting to grow up somewhere like Croydon that is, as you say, a melting pot of stuff and it's just got there's so much going on. But at the same time, not a lot of stuff going on that you feel like you can just go and do very easily. Yeah. I mean, luckily, yeah. it's so close to actually the centre of London and so surrounded mm. by all these other places that it's quite easy to like 
cop out and come back in and bring something with you. And most of my activity, probably when I started performing, kind of took place outside of Croydon yeah. in the surrounding areas, but it was definitely a South London thing. Like, oh. yeah, some great artists come from South London. Oh, lots, yeah. No, thank you very much for your answer. Dom, I mean, you were sort of saying before that you sort of grew up kind of Cumbria in Manchester and stuff, but how was sort of where you grew up? How has that affected you as a creative person? And what have you sort of been influenced by from that? Yeah, so I would I say I moved around a lot as a kid. My dad was involved in football throughout my whole childhood. So I moved effectively whichever club he was at, wherever they played or managed at. And I think that was the biggest thing for me. The biggest thing about that was in growing my confidence, the confidence to... I was always really the new kid at school or was always having to try and sort of create friendships out of nothing really because I was the, the new kid or, you know, if I joined a new football club or joined a, a drama club, whatever it was, I always had to just sort of put myself out there. And I think that's really helped me in my career. With, again, like, like we said before, without realising at the time that it was building those sort of character traits in me. And I think that's just, that meant, and I think when I went to, to drama school, it allowed me just to throw myself into it not really knowing what to expect, not really knowing exactly what I wanted to get out of it, but just putting my all in. So, okay, let's give it my best and see what happens. So in terms of where I grew up, I would find it hard to specify which area has influenced me as much. My accent is certainly certainly not clear enough to know where I'm actually from because I, I have no idea what my <laughs> accent is. So it's just general north. People say, where are you from? I say the north. From up north, I don't know where. <laughs> but like, but similar to Croydon, I mean, Manchester's got such a vibrant, creative hub. You know, my 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 brother lives in the northern quarter of Manchester, and I walk around. It's just amazing, and it's so it's full of life and character and colour and all sorts of different walks of life. So maybe with that unconsciously, that was all all affecting me at the time. But yeah, in my, in my little <laughs> sixth form college in Stockport, I wasn't aware that it was. <laughs> no, I suppose as well, having to make new friends all the time, you're probably having to not put on a performance, but it, you do have to probably be quite confident to try and like con- not reinvent yourself either, but to sort of fit in and guess. And yeah, and- definitely. That's that's what I mean. I was always having to to go and approach people and say, listen, I'm I'm new. Don't you don't know me, but I'm Dom. Here's what I'm about, sort of thing. <laughs> Just getting get annoying people basically for for the first twenty years of my life. I still am actually T, aren't I? But... Yeah, I'm also... <laughs> <laughs> that uh, well, I suppose that's what a lot of performing is. What you have to audition for things is, so, you know, you have this, they don't, you're kind of having to introduce yourself to people that don't know you and be like, "Hi, I'm quite good. Please give me the role." <laughs> that's how I walk in, actually. Hi, I'm Dom. I'm quite good. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> should. Well, so the, the next question, which is kind of part of the first one about where you're from and stuff, but I, I love this question, and we'd always have like nice different answers. But it's about like your favorite words or phrases that you, it doesn't even necessarily have to be where, from where you're from, but just that you sort of have adopted from sort of living all over. One of the what a word that came up recently, which I didn't realize was a sort of an, and I don't even know where it's from in the north, but it's the word scran. Oh, it's a great like, word food or so you could say I'm scranning it could be mm. used as a verb if you like so to scran <laughs> is to eat or a good scran I just, I use that all the time and someone picked up on that recently and said what on earth does that mean I've never heard that before. <laughs> so a real a real Cumbrian word is peeve you say Ooh. peeve I'm going for a peeve it's like should I have a peeve tonight it's a, a nice word <laughs> that's a really nice word I thought I actually thought scram was a Scottish word but maybe it's oh is who it knows. Well, we maybe use it a lot up here like I mean who knows it could be from anywhere Carlisle have probably just robbed it from the Scots there maybe that's where we got it from we, <laughs> we 
<laughs> we rubbed it, but you know, there's a, there's a lot of cross pollination, though. I mean, like, there's words that I think are Scottish, and then people in London say them as well. So you never know. That's rarer, but you know, what I mean, there's a lot of, especially in the north, they're not very close together. So not that good, good words. What about you, Tanisha? Do you have a favorite word or phrase from London or from somewhere similar? I don't know, actually. One thing that I've never let go of, and probably from being a teenager, and I don't even know if I use it in the wrong context, but I always have, is a scene like when somebody says. I don't know, says something about a story and you you understand you're seeing scenes. Scene. I don't know. Yeah. I always take it as like, I either see, I've seen what you're saying or you've set the scene, I get it. <laughs> Either S-W-E-N or S-C-E-N-E. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows how you say it? Maybe, maybe, it's, both. maybe it's both. I love the fact <laughs> that they're once said and then we try to decipher how you spell it to put it in the text. <laughs> <laughs> I think so many slang words like that. I've spelled so many slang words wrong over the years going, oh shit, I didn't know that's how you spell it. Like, I just had no idea. No, I love it. Thank you both for your answers. Very, another, I enjoyed them. Well, I kind of wanted to talk next about like your sort of steps from going from somewhere like school into like a sort of career in the creative industries, which is, of course, very hard. And I was quite lucky because you've both done in interviews with some uh, newspapers and things recently. So I sort of picked out some stuff from them, which I wanted to talk to you both about. So we'll start with Tanisha this time. So uh, you were talking about in this interview how you worked for like a telecommunications company and your brain enjoyed it, you were saying, but like your, it was like your body didn't enjoy it, which I thought was yeah. a really interesting quote. So t- tell us about that and how did you go? So I go from there to like, you know, become a, a performer and be in Moulin Rouge, etc. Yeah, it was an accounting, basically. And I, I'd still love a spreadsheet. I love a bit of organisation. <laughs> Definitely a Virgo brain. So I worked for this telecommunications company. I did a short course in accounting, went into there, planning to do my ACCA to get fully qualified as an accountant. But <laughs> I just kept, literally kept falling asleep. It was like narcolepsy. I don't know what it was. And I had so much coffee. Coffee doesn't agree with me, but I just kept falling asleep. <laughs> And I think it happened for like probably a good few weeks on and off. And I thought Mm. I'm probably going to get fired. I should probably reconsider what I'm going to do with my life. In terms of performing, I always loved, at that time I was writing music and I loved singing, but I was so shy and so nervous to perform in front of people. I kind of wanted to keep it like part-time and allow myself some time to like, Mm. I don't know, still enjoy it. But then it was that point I was I, I thought I'd better overcome my fear of performing in people in front of people and watching them if I planned to do it as a job and decided I would go for a dance college. But I hadn't <laughs> I danced for all of a year or two years at that time and part time outside of school. So decided I would go to find a college and probably the only one would take me. So it wasn't very good. but it had some great teachers from there. I kind of met some other people outside of dance, outside of the college when I did my A-levels at a place mm. called Huffies in Elephant and Castles. Elephant and Castle, we used to do, basically, it's a kind of where di- the group diversity would do certain things, uh, mm. or flawless, and you'd go and train for four hours for five pounds, and you'd learn these routines, and half the time we didn't perform them anywhere. It was just a part, you were part of a group, and... Mm like learning a style and there were different groups in different rooms doing it at the same time on it on any evening and then from there met somebody who started working for a record label and they needed backing singers for a new band so while I was at college I started doing towards the end of it started doing backing singing and I was like no I'm I think I'm really to sing then that took a detour started doing like being a commercial dancer then left to do more singing, got signed to a label. And when I got dropped from my label, because they just it wasn't panning out and they spent so much money, just a business decision. My friend was auditioning for a show and 
at the, that same week, I emailed the casting director, they found me a cancellation. Mm. Kind of haven't looked back. I did plan to go back <laughs> to writing music, but never felt the urge to. I think there was so much to delve into in terms of this industry that I was enjoying and worked mm. with some great people that just inspired me just from the way they worked, actually. And what they were able to find in certain roles that I kind of wanted to do the same. Thank you for summarising so much stuff very articulately there. I feel like you'd, you'd unpacked a lot. And there's lots to pick out from that. Something I wanted to quickly circle back on was you're talking about that, going to that thing that was only a fiver for like four hours. I feel like that's probably quite a rare nowadays. And, and again, oh, yeah. it's so important for someone like yourself who's now made like a career out of this and is doing so well. Like, you know, there's probably not the, those sort of opportunities for people these days, which I think is a shame because... It sounds like it was such an informative part of your sort of career. I mean, it really was. And there's so many of there's so many people that I've circled around that used to go to the same the same places and met the same yeah. people who are so successful now. And it was just be like being a part of a community to start with. Some people were never gonna wanted to perform, but they still were dedicated to the art of it. And it made it less competitive and more supportive. And yeah, really, it was a time where classes, you were allowed to make mistakes and you were allowed to yeah. learn without it having to be online necessarily. I don't know, there's so much more opportunity to train essentially mm-hmm. outside of any official training group which is really important and being around like-minded people that obviously inspire you as well and things like that yeah, for yeah. sure the other yeah the other sort of thing I want to ask you about was when you talk about being dropped by the label like how did you sort of, that must also have been quite hard in the moment so how did you sort of pick yourself up from that there'll be a lot of people listening that have maybe want to be performers as well and have, or work in other parts of the creative industries and have probably been rejected lots of times and are quite disheartened so how did you sort of like pick yourself up from that I think I'm quite lucky in the sense that the majority of the time especially when it comes to comes to rejection I've got quite a good business brain so there are certain things that can't be helped you can go into a room and give the best performance ever but you just necessarily don't fit into the puzzle with you're you're too tall or you're too short against somebody else so there's a lot of the part of the industry that you can't help and I tried to not delve into I don't I guess pitying myself too much on the things that I can't help I try it's not always successful but I try <laughs> in terms of the label I can't I kind of knew it was coming I thought as much as I loved it individually our team I didn't think we had the right team and the direction we were going was kind of wavering and unclear and they'd before even I joined they'd spent so much money on it I understood that it was coming so it was kind of sad but also something that mm. I can't accept because I would have done the same in their position Mm. (laughs) so yeah it was quite it's quite daunting in the fact that now I've got to pay my bills and I wasn't sure how I was going to do that but it was also quite nice to have an open arena of going okay what's Mm. next I'm I think I want to leave that bit alone for a while because it's not serving me the way I want to so what can I do now really and of course now it's you know worked out very well seemingly so you know it seems really like seems to be (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, it's amazing. I'll come back on to sort of talk about Mill and Rouge more and how that like, sort of rule all came around. But I want to just sort of open up to Dom and ask you about like, you know, your first sort of steps into making a career out of this. I mean, are you, I was reading that you were going to quite set on being a footballer and stuff. And then it was like a, a sort of being in Little Shop of Horrors at the age of 16 that sort of changed the trajectory of your sort of life and career. Yeah, massively. So as I say, I love to say I wanted to be a footballer and prefacing that with I was never good enough to be a footballer as much as I would have loved to be. It became quite clear towards 16 that that just wasn't going to work out for me. And I was at sixth form 
in in Manchester and as I say I auditioned for the, the sort of the, the Christmas musical they were doing and it wasn't Christmas it was Little Shop of Horrors but it was at Christmas and it was the musical director who's an, an amazing friend of mine still such a great mentor for me who after the audition and I got cast as Seymour in in the production which was a massive surprise because I was only in Lower Sixth at the time and I always thought that the, the principals would be from Upper Sixth and Brian kind of took me under his wing and sort of said you're actually quite good at what you do here you know this is you, you've got a good voice you can act well would you ever consider this as a career and I kind of laughed it off a little bit as like that's not really a thing you know people don't do this for a living he's like no they do like people actually do do this and people even pay them to do it and I was like what no way uh, you know I just was giving up my my entire evenings for the whole of December to rehearse for this show and he gave me this little carrot you can get paid to do this one day and that it sort of all blossomed from there Brian was fantastic in in sort of mentoring me to get to drama school and we looked at the auditions together and looked at all the material that I needed to prepare very kindly sort of gave extra singing lessons to make sure I was up to speed because technically I had I had no vocal technique I'd never sang I never had any singing lessons I obviously could sing to an extent but had never really thought any more of it and then as I say went to arts educational schools in London to do my my degree and graduated and then very fortunately haven't looked back but like Tanisha I kind of I, I giggled when you said I haven't looked back because it, it's just so difficult when you're booked and blessed there girl he's <laughs> <laughs> gone from job to job she's always like I would love to do to go get back to writing but she's too busy and in a very slightly different way I've, I've been in let's say just the two shows but it's kept me busy since graduating so I'm, I'm really fortunate and very aware that that is not the norm and sort of ready for for life to smack me in the face one day but for now I'm riding that I'm riding the wave of it and, and loving everything. <laughs> oh, that's amazing and something else I wanted to sort of pick up on Dom which we kind of chatted about off air but like sort of growing up in kind of a football family and like that being quite a big part of your life what yeah. are the sort of similarities between football and the creative industries something that's never really came up in this podcast because obviously yeah. they're both quite hard industries to to work in. They are and they're both so I guess subjective how your success in our in in, in the theatre industry and in the entertainment industry is very much better based on someone else's opinion of you, mm. uh, particularly when it comes to casting and things like that. And as, as Tanisha mentioned, a lot of the times when you get a no, it's actually something that's completely out of your control. And there's times where you're not good enough for the role, but most of the time it's, you know, everyone in our industry has talent. The talent is is in absolute abundance in, in, in the West End and in the UK. So it's it's usually something else. And I think that dealing with those rejections is something that I've, I've picked up through my, my childhood and, and being around professional sport growing up because so much of what happens is out of your control. And I think it's important that we try and accept that for what it is, not allow it to bog you down, not allow that to, to knock your confidence and just accept no I'm giving all I can and trust that and that's another thing I think hard work dedication professionalism I think they're they're things which are should be non-negotiables in in our world and I think and that's one of the the big lessons I took from from being at drama school is that Mm. the commitment that it does require to be in our industry I think it's that that dedication to our life and our craft is so similar to professional sport you know we are athletes in our own way and that our, our voice is often the most important instrument or our, our bodies if we're the dancers or our even so even if you're just a, a straight actor in a play your body goes through so much physical and mental emotional drain and strain throughout a show that you really do have to put a lot of emphasis on recovery and preparation for the shows mm-hmm. and I say it's those sort of parallels which I think would be easy to to miss when you think about professional sport and football in general and and the arts but I, I really do having having had 
a very, very small part of the, the professional sport industry and now living in, in this world, I really do see the parallels and I'm, I'm grateful for having it's the upbringing that I did to prepare me for it. Yeah. Just very quickly, is there any lessons that each industry could learn from each other? Is there any lessons that like elite sport could learn from the arts and vice versa? How do I politely say this? Um, <laughs> one thing I would say is I've had instances I had things like care for your cast, care for the people who work in the show. I think mm-hmm. it's sometimes, I get this feeling, sometimes in our industry, it's a case of unless you're performing, you're kind of not our problem. And it's, it's sometimes yeah. how, how it can feel at times. And I've been very fortunate to have worked with some really supportive productions and shows, but I, I get a sense of sometimes, oh, say, for example, a, a vocal injuries. I think people think of vocal injuries and think like, oh, well, that's your problem. We can't deal with it. But mm-hmm. At the time a vocal injury comes on because I'm performing or, you know, and it's not even just, you know, the, the, the stereotypes that go around that we must be bad technique. No, we just use our muscles so much that you're going to yeah. get, you're going to get injuries as you never look at a footballer who pulls his hamstring and go useless at your job because you, you got a hamstring tear. It just, it happens. We're, we're putting our body through inhumane stress <laughs> to mm. do what we do. And I sometimes, you know, for example, if that happens to a player, the team provide everything in their power to make sure that they get back to full strength as quickly as possible as as supported as possible whereas i sometimes feel in in our industry it can be a case of oh well uh, say for example the show finishes but you've got an injury that's carried through for that that's on you that's on you to go and we've got fantastic organizations like acting for others and charities and and equity who can support you but i do feel like the shows have to have to sort of and I, i understand from a business standpoint they have to just close that chapter move on so that would be my thing I think the the care for uh, your team so to speak and then what would I say maybe in professional sport probably I'd probably urge audience members and fans to to maybe take things a little less seriously when they're at a football game maybe just try and enjoy it a little bit more no one's trying to have a bad game no one wants to lose every week so Maybe we could have a little bit more of a theatre fan atmosphere at mm-hmm. a football ground. You know, some football chants in harmony and unit, and you know, <laughs> a little bit of a dance break. Who knows? That'd be fun. Thank you, Dom. No, thank you for answering that one. I know I kind of that was a bit of on the spot there, but that was a, an excellent answer. I really enjoyed that, and I completely agree. I think when I work in TV, and there's a lot of well-being issues there. So where sometimes you feel like, do they care about the crew enough, or do they care about like? You know, you go from freelance to freelance job and it's like, come on, guys, like we can do a bit better. So I think that's an industry wide thing, which I totally agree with. Hello, it's Jamie here. You may have heard this advert several times before, but if not, this is basically just me taking a minute to remind you guys that if you're enjoying the podcast, there are a number of things you can do to help us keep growing. Now, as many of you might be aware, the podcasting landscape is incredibly saturated. And I mean, there's lots of podcasts. We all love podcasts. But it's very difficult for independent podcasts like us to sometimes break through and to be noticed. So doing things like sharing us on social media, word of mouth, and just telling friends and family to listen, or even leaving us a little five-star review on places like Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts go so far in helping us to keep growing. Me and Elliot adore this podcast. We love making this podcast. So if you're able to help in any way by doing something like that, we'd be incredibly grateful, not just for our podcast, but if you love any independent podcasts, 
please try and give them a wee share or give them a review because it, it goes so far. Another thing you can do if you enjoy the podcast as well, and we appreciate that this is a very difficult time, but if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us, you can donate as little or as much as you like to our Patreon page. And you can do that by going to patreon.com slash job, or you can click the link in the show notes. Anything you can afford, we are very grateful for. Thank you for your continued support and I hope you enjoy the rest of today's episode. Let's talk about Moulin Rouge then, because I know that's what sort of your whole lives are oriented around at the moment. I thought it would be nice, actually, and you were, I know you were saying as well, Dom, before that, like, you, it's sort of social media takeover day, but what's the sort of day-to-day roles for being in the show for you guys? Like, let's, from waking up to, like, the, the final performance at night, like, what's the, what does your day-to-day look like when you're performing? Because I know sometimes there'll be two shows a day and things as well. Let's start with you, Tanisha. Day-to-day, I mean, I'm not going to lie, it's pretty boring. <laughs> Generally, <laughs> try to get as much rest and eat wisely and sleep and then do all the stuff that you need to do like washing and household business Mm -hmm. but yeah generally I try to take it quite slow during the day if I need to go to the gym I'll go to the gym Mm -hmm. I tried once not going to the gym and that also doesn't work (laughs) just keep your balance and kind of just like an athlete keep your body healthy basically and your mind healthy see my friends if I can if I've got the energy and the voice to slowly warm up during the day if I'm lucky it's things like this speaking to lovely people about the show and what we do and yeah they vary from day to day especially at the beginning now where we're still mm. getting the routine into the show I'm not sure what my mood on rouge fully routine of a day looks like yet but yeah hydration very important <laughs> that <laughs> we've both got a whole bottle <laughs> 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 yeah i'm sorry it's just i've got a bit of a boring answer I, I i think it's quite interesting but i mean i'm into all this no i just i'm just curious because a lot of people you go to see a show and i don't think people realize that there's a lot to it like you know preparation and i know obviously before that there's a lot of rehearsals and things as well yeah um, but you know things like hydration i don't know i think some listeners will be interested in that if they're what if they want to you know grow up and be on the stage etc one thing i do try and do and it's sometimes you can get sucked into the world and sell your soul and your life is just consumed by the show is as well as like seeing my regular friends and things like that is i always try i don't know if it's me just not being able to do one thing at a time but always try to have something else that i enjoy that i do regularly mm-hmm. because you can feel like you're consumed by one world a bit too much and I think the dedication for something and when people commit to an activity is great but especially something in the creative arts I think you just need a balance like I have a production company and we're currently trying to I say we it's just me and I at the minute currently trying to um, trying to commission a two-hander and I'm also learning, trying to learn Japanese that sometimes gets dropped but it's something that I enjoy outside of the industry that just keeps mm-hmm. me together no, I mean, that's such a good thing to like do because I try to do that as well. But the podcast isn't really outside the industry I work in. So it, although it is a little bit different to my day job, I feel like the two things I spend most of my time doing are both kind of in the same thing. And I sometimes when I speak to people that don't work in TV or like the creative industries, I'm like, oh, my God, have I got anything else to say? Like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, you know, I think it's a really good point to make. Dom, what about you? What's your sort of day to day like? Yeah, following from that, I think it's it's still very much flexing different muscles, isn't it? And I think that's what's important. I think mm. to exercise the parts of your your being and your mind that don't get put to use on stage, so to speak. So like I say, if it is going to the gym, I like to try and keep active and get yourself ready for the show. And it's a, a bit of a balancing act to know how much can I put into that side of things, going to the gym and working mm. out, 
and getting ready for the show but still conserve enough energy that when I get on stage I'm not exhausted and I'm not like oh I've got aches from that exercise I just did and whatnot but I think that's really important I think it is very much a it can be an all-consuming career and particularly when you're playing roles like like Tanisha and I are where they are so so demanding that it's it's easy to get sucked into that and and sort of become a bit of a shell and likewise I've done that before and that doesn't serve you either it doesn't it doesn't help you end up getting more drained because your entire focus goes onto the show so you wake up and you're already thinking about 7 30 when the show kicks off and that's just not it's not healthy you have to keep your mind fresh I, I love trying to get out and about I live in southeast London so I'm lucky enough to have some green space around me and I appreciate getting outside getting some fresh air likewise doing things to keep my mind off the show so to speak but in terms of a more like a, a timeline of how the day looks we usually get to theatre we have company warm up at 5 45 so I'm usually there about five maybe beforehand to get myself settled before we start do a bit of pre-warm-up warm-up and then I don't know if this is the same UT but we get home like half 11 and then it's takes a good hour or two to come down and to, yeah. to be ready to go to bed because our, our adrenaline's through the roof. We're buzzing, we're exhausted, but also really quite hyper at the time as well. Yeah. So sadly, the the day goes on much longer than I would like it to. I'd love to get home and just pop my pajamas on and be straight in bed, but I'm I'm a, a 1 a.m. sort of at the earliest sleeper. Proud of, but it's just the way it is. It's just that, you know, we we effectively work nights. Our, our day starts at 6 or 5.45 when warm-up kicks off. But the whole day leading up to it, we have to be aware of what's to come. And I think that's always the balance in that, but I'd say it comes with experience. Like Tanisha said, we're still getting used to our routine. Even after six weeks, things change. Every week looks slightly different every day. One of the things that I try to build into my routine is I look at my my stamina is one of the things that I look at and I break it down. So like each shirt, each song that I sing, give it enough stamina to get through that. And then I can go, okay, I've did that song. Now what's the stamina that I need to conserve for that act? And then I look, okay, what's the stamina I need to conserve for that whole show? And then I go through the week, say some Mondays out of the way, mm-hmm. Tuesday. And it's it becomes a little bit of a tick list of like, yep, yeah, got through the opening number of Monday's show got through Monday show. Okay. Can I get to Wednesday now? And then I've got enough to go through. And it's just a case of, and if I get to Thursday and think, okay, I've overstrained a little bit this week, maybe I need to take a step back Thursday and Friday. And then so I can get through to the weekend. So you are constantly having to adapt to how you feel and what's going on vocally, physically. But yeah, always trying to make time for things outside of the show and theatre and the industry. No, I think, no, that's that's all really interesting. I, I thank you both for answering that because I think that it's, it's really interesting to talk about the show and your roles and stuff. But I think what's really interesting for the listeners is like, just little things like that that maybe people don't think about when they go to see a musical or they go to see a play, etc., or any sort of performance. Because as you said, there's so much to it. And like, you know, even things like saying you're still on a bit of a high after the show, like, of course you are. Like, it's all that adrenaline. So, you know, yeah. how, you know, I wouldn't be able to sleep after something like that. Was, you know what I mean? It makes total sense. <laughs> but let's actually, let's get into the sort of nuts and bolts of Milan Rouge. Like, tell us about the show, like, when, where people can see it, like, your roles, etc. Yeah. So, Milan Rouge the musical. Is based on the Baz Luhrmann film, which I'm sure everyone is familiar with, set in Paris. The show takes place at the Piccadilly Theatre in London's West End. That's where we perform every day apart from Sunday, two shows Wednesday, two shows Saturday, if you want to come down for a matinee as well. And the show is set in Paris. It follows the story of Christian, who, slightly different to the film, Christian's come over from America to escape his suffocating life there, to be part of this bohemian world of Montmartre in Paris, and on his first day, gets taken by a 
taken. That sounds like he'd been kidnapped. He gets <laughs> shown that he gets taken to the Moulin Rouge. Like he's kidnapped. Yeah. That's a real different show. But um, Christine gets taken to the Moulin Rouge by his two bohemian friends, Toulouse-Lautrec and Santiago, and immediately falls in love with the sparkling diamond of the club, Satine, who is played by Tanisha. So Christian comes to the club and falls in love with Satine, and likewise she falls in love with him, basically at first sight. He's a man that she hasn't really been introduced to before who's so innocent and and raw and creative and I think that attracts her but she's in a tricky position because she's meant to she's meant to become the official courtesan should we say for the duke who is a wealthy man who comes to the club and wants to not only own Satine but own a piece in the club and the club is going through a bad time at the moment so the Ziegler who runs the club kind of arranges for that to happen and kind of puts pressure on Satine to save the family because the people in the club have become her family and that kind of that's where all the trouble hits really I don't know if you just spoil the end because I know some people I'm surprised some people actually don't know the end or have forgotten the end and come so I don't want to ruin the surprise completely <laughs> no spoilers we definitely get into a bit of a love triangle though with Satine Christian and the Duke and it's all a little bit of a Christian and Satine have to then live their relationship in secret for a lot of it particularly behind the back of the Duke he's none the wise a lot of the club and a lot of the the other workers in the club they're aware of what's going on but the, the triangle becomes very muddy when Satine basically has to make a choice which sends Christian into a spiral of emotion and doom and gloom which is such a fun part of the show I think we both yeah. agree that when we start to get into that real nitty-gritty of the emotions and very much polar opposite to the the opening number where we get glitz and glam and it's sexy and there's can cans and there's lights and all sorts and it becomes very dark and emotive and Satine's unwell at the time so there's a lot of a lot of things a lot of plates being spun in the air and safe to say they all come crashing down at points as well which is so much fun to get stuck into. Brilliant. Well, there's a link in the show notes. So if anyone wants to find out more information about Mill and Rouge, just click below the podcast. But I always wanted to ask you both what your sort of favourite thing about acting on stage together is. So I'll let you maybe answer it about the other person. So start with you, Tanisha. What's your favourite thing about sort of getting to perform alongside Don? I mean, it can't be too nice because he gets a very big head. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I really, usually you do a chemistry read, but actually when we got, we both accepted the job, we hadn't met we haven't actually even crossed paths in the industry which is quite funny but the thing I like about working with Dom is he's so receptive to whatever we've got a basic structure of the show Mm. but whatever you kind of give him on stage he'll play with which is fun for especially when you're doing eight shows a week or seven shows I'm lucky enough to do seven shows a week it's so fun to play against because I I don't particularly want to do with staying within the same framework. I don't particularly want to do the same thing because I feel like sometimes for me it can be forced, and I always want to try and remain true to the scene and necessarily how I'm feeling. But yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> and we get on so well generally. It makes it. I mean, it's acting. If we didn't, it would be fine. But it's so much more enjoyable when you're so actually much more fun. person because you're meant to like be in love and. It would be a much larger leap if you didn't like the person. <laughs> no, thank you. Don't worry about yourself. Yeah, I think likewise, I think I came into this process brand new to, to Milan Rouge and 
Tanisha was part of the original company as the the alternate team. So had a had a sort of a, an idea previously of how she'd done it. She'd worked with a couple of other, a few other Christians prior to to myself. And I was so grateful for how willing and humble she was to say, okay, no, we've got to build our version of it. It wasn't a case of this is how I've done it before. We're going to do it like that. And I think that like Tanisha said, in terms of being receptive to one another, I think that's such a key component, for, particularly for roles that are so intimate and that work so so closely together throughout the whole show. I mean, we're on stage for, for most of it together and most of our scenes, it's kind of just us two at times. And to have the the connection that we have and the understanding of how one another works. And we're still, listen, I say we're six weeks in, we're still going to learn, we're still going to find new things. But I get on stage and I trust that what we're going to create will be from a place of the right intention it will have the right I know that the, the framework I say the framework that we've built is solid and is safe so we can bounce off each other and can make different choices in the moment and I say it will be res- re- responded to and yeah I think that that joy I mean we 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 get on so and I'd say they got so lucky because we could have hated each other we, we, we could have absolutely hated each other <laughs> and we we do have such a great time as I say I think there's a real mutual understanding of what we both want to get out of the show and what we need to put in to get to that get to that mm-hmm. point uh, I'm very grateful for for T's professionalism and that that hard work that you have to put in because if you don't take it seriously it, it just falls flat on its backside so yeah she's she's a lot of fun oh, i'm glad you both get on it would be very awkward on this podcast <laughs> just, be dead, just be dead silence we just hate <laughs> well mm, you're gonna have to give me a second can you imagine give me a minute, yeah i'm gonna have to make some notes before i answer this let me come back to you <laughs> i think what's, what's that meme next question <laughs> just going back to what dom said i think it's nice because where we've started it makes the year quite exciting because I don't think we'll be doing the same show together Mm. I don't think we'll be doing the same show so if somebody came tomorrow and watched even in six months time I think it would have developed into something else and something equally as good I hope or even better that's really nice and it's not because it's on till like next is it like next April or longer than that that's right so far yeah wow so along the long haul (laughs) yeah we hope we hope much longer than that we we said no (laughs) that's just to make sure you only but you buy all the tickets till April and then we'll Right. No, that's really exciting. I know we've been speaking for like nearly about an hour, so I've started to sort of wrap things up. So I've got a few more questions, but I wanted to both ask you like if there was a dream role you had other than this one for a future that you'd maybe love to one day get to perform. So I've got I've got a couple of roles, and I'm really fortunate that at the moment I'm not old enough to play them, which is great (laughs) because that means that I can't be disappointed that I don't get them. One of the roles for me is Sweeney Todd. I would love to play Sweeney. And I think there's so many Sondheim shows, which I would love to be a part of, but Sweeney's one that really sort of grips me. I'd love to, even the, the productions, I was fortunate to see the, the Broadway production with uh, Josh Groban and Annalie Ashford. I saw that back in July. And I, I really enjoyed that Sweeney wasn't the, the stereotypical 60 year old man and a very bassy baritone sound. Like Josh has got a soaring sound and is very, much more the the youthful and quote unquote the sexy Sweeney in in a way you know compared to what we're used to seeing yeah and it was refreshing to see that oh actually you you can dig to those depths of like the character and the 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 pain that he gets to and the sort of the the craziness that ensues without having to be an old man basically but I would I say that's that's one that really sticks out to me at the moment on the west end I would I would love to play MC in cabaret I think that's such an incredible role yeah in an iconic (laughs) so I it was one of the first shows that really drew me into the industry I remember seeing Wayne Sleep 
play MC. In, I think I think they call it the Seven Theatre in Shrewsbury. I lived in Shropshire at the time and went to go and see the, the touring company of Cabaret. And I was just blown away by it. And the, the characterization of MC is something that I'd love to get stuck into. It's a bit creepy. It's a bit sadistic at times, but also very caring. A bit like Harold Zither in our show, where he has care for Sally and, and for the for the club, but it's still very much the performative master of ceremonies that he needs to be. So yeah, that'd be one. And if I could play another role in the West End, I think it'd be MC right now. Mm. No, thank you for answering that. That sounds good. Fingers crossed. I mean, you've got plenty yeah. of time. Plenty of time Hopefully. to go. Hopefully. <laughs> Denisha, what about yourself? Quite a lot, but I don't know if it's necessarily my limited knowledge of musical theatre generally or what I perceive as a challenge. I don't know. I, I've been lucky enough to, to put new shows on, a lot of new shows. This, I think this is my first, it's definitely my first takeover for a current show that I've ever done. So usually I can, I've been, we workshop a show and put it on and I love that aspect of it. So I don't, it's a really annoying question, but I don't think it's written though. When I was asked the question, I did go back and think about it. And I, I would never, I wouldn't say no to, even though it's not current running here, to Bobby and company, because I just think those questions and I, I saw it was such a slick production that as the female takeover. But there's so many nuances that I just find really interesting about age and femininity and relationships that, yeah, I'd love to like delve into that. I think that would be mm. fun. But other than that, something new would be key. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's the dream, isn't it? The dream is to to have something written for you. That's what we all want. We all want. I yeah. think it's nice because you get to your your input in rather than my yeah. imposter syndrome goes crazy if I if I'm told to do something what somebody else did because it, I have to like compute it in a completely different way and try that make that make sense to me. I'd like to do a really good version of what I can offer mm. um, and it'd be nice to it's always nice to to fill a space with your creativity and also just collaborate yeah for sure no that's a really nice answer i like that you want you know and fingers crossed maybe you could even get back into writing again songs as well and get yeah. all fun part of it that could be exciting yeah you well fingers crossed can you write me in the show <laughs> <laughs> how we go get on in a year we might <laughs> give it give it another six months <laughs> see if you still want to do work with me <laughs> just get a real job well, i've just got two more questions for you there's so much more i could ask you both but I'll, I'll get these two in but the name of the podcast is obviously just get a real job we'd all have to work part-time jobs or quote real jobs that maybe we didn't enjoy or weren't as fun but what's the worst part-time job you'd ever had to work to support yourself as a as an artist starting with you Tanisha the worst job I mean I've been very lucky I haven't had many oh no that's telling a lie I haven't had I've had a few <laughs> jobs that I haven't enjoyed but I did them for a very short amount of time because I didn't enjoy them I um, worked in a charity call center once yeah and I've never I never got past my probationary period or I did for <laughs> potential and I think it was literally in the middle of the shift I had to get up and say I can't do this actually and they're like would you like to finish a shift I was like no <laughs> um it was it was tricky asking people for pushing to ask people for money that didn't have much mm. no, I was getting paid for the job it was for me it was really hard even though I knew it was a good thing in the end it was sometimes a bad thing the pressure that we sometimes had to put on people I never felt comfortable with that <laughs> mm. I definitely couldn't do that so no that's very fair no, thank it's you like for that. Down in front of a computer again, it just wasn't worth it. Wasn't working. <laughs> you were you, you were destined to be a performer. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Dom? I have. I'm likewise. I'm really fortunate that I've not done one that I've absolutely hated. The most recent, which I, I'm going to say before I say this, I loved the job and I loved the people I worked with. 
but it was such hard work. I really didn't appreciate it. I worked in a bar throughout the pandemic. I um, I worked in a, a, a wonderful local pub in Southeast London, the Woodhouse Dulwich. Woodhouse Dulwich, get out there, come support them. Amazing people, great group to work with. But I was coming home exhausted. The amount of steps they did, they had a massive, big, wonderful beer garden, I say in the lockdown when pandemic, when we couldn't be inside and all the drinks were being ferried from the bar out, outside. I was doing 25,000 steps every day, carrying drinks and usually dropping them. And it was just on your feet. So I have mad respect for anyone who works in in pub work or any form of hospitality and dealing with drunk people. <laughs> rather you than me <laughs> which I, but I say I love the people it was a it was a great way to pass the time whilst I was out of work and the, the, the theatres were all closed but yeah it was it was a lot well I'm, I think uh, there's a lot of people that have been on this podcast that I'd probably still listen that work in hospitality and I'm probably going yes it's, uh, it's very hard it's so hard and no one is paid enough no no I I know across the board for sure well I've got one more question for you both but I just wanted to say as well it's been such a enjoyable time speaking to you both like you know it's been a really really fun way to sort of spend the morning so I appreciate your time but my last question sort of about like advice so what would your sort of closing advice be to anyone that specifically wanted to become an actor and performer in musical theatre my advice we touched on it a little bit in the podcast as well is I would say always find something outside of the industry to keep you fulfilled and think that it can be so easy to get bogged down that your your career and your success is defined by the work you do on stage or on screen, whatever, wherever in the creative world you, you place yourself. Mm-hmm. But I think it's so important to find fulfillment elsewhere that it becomes an additional part of you rather than your entire being as I say I've in the past I've done that before where it's become my everything and then when things start to go wrong or even if you just have a bad show you end up thinking oh my god my entire existence is being questioned right now because I had a bad show it's like no get over it you'll do yeah. another one tomorrow like it's fine you're like no one died we're, we're just we're, we're performing on stage like god forbid touch wood nothing nothing goes wrong on stage like it's okay it's that would be my big thing but also just Hard work is so underestimated, I think, in our in our world. I say the talent in the UK, in the world, there will always be people more talented than you, but you are so in control of the, the work you put in and how much you dedicate to yourself. And I say, keep it healthy, keep a balance between work and life, but it is hard work and be prepared to, to have to put a shift in because that's I think that's the only way you're going to get the most out of it that you can. No, thank you so much. That's um, some really nice advice to close off with. Anisha, what about yourself? I think mine would kind of be similar to Dom, is that the industry will definitely give you a false sense of security or a false sense of self. And it's easy sometimes to fall into either believing your own hype or believing that you're not worth much in terms of a hierarchy. And it's kind of having that conversation with yourself constantly not to fall into that or having a base of people who won't let you fall Mm. fall into that pattern and another is just to remember the reasons why you got into it in the first place it would definitely help you choose the right jobs for you you don't have to say yes to everything that's probably another piece of advice <laughs> but yeah. if you're remembering your the reason why you want to do it you want the hard work won't feel feel so hard I think that goes across the board of life I think mm. if there's an element of something that if you can find those bits that you enjoy and the reasons why you did it in the first place, because Dom's said exactly, we're not saving anybody's life. We're literally doing what we did when we were kids and trusting up and pretending to be people that we're not. We take it very seriously, but there is so much fun to be had and Mm. remembering those reasons kind of makes the hard work feel easier. No, for sure. I completely agree. I think 
something I'm often saying to people in telly or like where I work is like people, and I, I care deeply about the projects I work on as well people take it so seriously sometimes and it is important and there's sometimes a lot of money involved but you know I used to work in uh, adult social care for a long time which is you know a much more high stakes job than anything I'm doing now as much as I love what I do now and sometimes I just want to scream like it's just TV like it's fine like do you know what I mean yeah. people get so stressed and there's so much egos involved yeah. sometimes that it's like we love what we do and it's important but sometimes you have, it's having that perspective as you're both kind of saying so and I completely agree it's a really good advice that's it. respect for what you do rather than take trying to take it seriously and those lines can yeah. be blurred sometimes but it's kind of yeah. respect without without making it life or death <laughs> no for sure for sure well listen I, I wish you both the best of luck with the rest of the run hopefully it goes on beyond april but it's been honestly such a joy to sit down with you both i've really enjoyed this conversation thank you so much yeah thanks for having us jamie thank you pleasure well there you go that was episode 122 of just get a real job Thank you again to Dom and to Denisha for their time. Really appreciate it. I know they're very busy performing, so I appreciated them taking an hour out of their day to chat to me. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please feel free to tag us on Instagram or Twitter at Just Got A Real Job. Let us know or just drop us a private message, whatever you prefer. As always as well, you can follow us on Spotify or subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a little five-star review if you feel like it. Obviously, don't have to. Just enjoy listening to this episode. It's free after all. Thank you as always to Elliot for editing this podcast. Thank you to Amy who does the artwork. And we'll be back again with another brilliant conversation next week. But until then, have a lovely week. Just get a real job